If you will, please uh, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, we'll begin with verse 15, and we're going to start talking about um, prayer uh, concerning Revelation. Now, you know, for a number of Wednesdays, we have been teaching about effective praying. Nobody wants to pray if it doesn't work. And God is just absolutely too smart to devise a prayer system that wouldn't work. I mean, that doesn't even begin to make sense, does it? That he would talk to us about prayer, actually require us to pray, but then prayer wouldn't really work, or we wouldn't know if it could work or if it will work. That just doesn't make sense. And so we are determined to look into the Word, and that's what we've been doing, to find out what makes it work, how to pray effectively. And of course, we've likened and used this illustration. It wasn't original with me, of course, but it's a good one, so I just use it myself. Uh, prayer is a lot like sports. And I, when I say sports, that's a very broad term. I could be talking about soccer. I could be talking about American football. I could be talking about basketball, baseball, golf, tennis, uh, even cornhole, whatever. I, you know, all of that is sports. But none of those things I mentioned, plus all the other ones that I could mention, none of those are played with the same rules. I mean, nobody talks about the NBA having touchdowns or the NFL getting baskets. We just don't, we don't use that terminology because it doesn't fit. And so the same thing happens with prayer. There are different kinds of prayers, and there are different rules that govern those different kinds of prayers. And when you learn what they are and how to do them correctly, that's when they work for you. Amen. So the idea that God knows all about it, and he understands it all, and you know what? He does. But that idea that that means I don't really have to learn, I don't have to discipline myself, I don't have to follow any of the rules for it, because he knows all about it. And in other words, the, the kind of the unspoken uh, next page of that book is, well, and he's just going to do whatever he wants to do anyway. But how many of you know that's not true? You can choose tonight, if you want to, to leave this place, go down the road, and do something terrible. Do you think God wants you to do that? No. That would just be a choice we would make out of our own disobedience, and uh, you know we could choose to sin, and that's wrong, and of course we all understand that. But the point is, if God was getting everything done exactly the way he wanted it done, then he's made a bad mess out of this thing. I mean, you couldn't look at this world we're in and think of, you know, how in the world could you think that God's responsible for all of that? Now, he created the world in the beginning, and he gave to man the ability to choose, and man has made some very bad choices sometimes. But you don't have to make them. And no matter where you are in your life, God allows U-turns, and you can come right back around and get on track. And one of the most important ways that you're going to stay on the track with God is to learn to communicate with Him, because that's what prayer is. It is communication with God. It's not just a duty. It's not just a chore. It, it is a living communication with God. So we've talked about a number of different kinds of prayers, and last week, the uh, type of... Uh, uh, prayer we were talking about was seeking the will of God, to know the will of God. Tonight, we're going to talk about the prayer that Paul prayed here in Ephesians 1. Now, how many of you know Scripture is inspired by the Holy Ghost? So this would not be in here if it was useless. 
If it was pointless, if it wouldn't work, or if it didn't work, this prayer would not be in here. And so what we're getting ready to read is a prayer of one of the most productive and powerful ministers and Christians that's ever walked the planet. And it's a prayer that he said he prayed and gave great detail about how he prayed. And there are components to this prayer that you and I need to pick up and use for ourselves. Now, there are some prayers, again, going back to this rules of prayer, what governs the different kinds of prayer. There is a prayer petition found in Mark eleven twenty four that we would only pray once as far as making the petition. And then from that point on, we would praise God and make positive and powerful faith confessions about what we're believing concerning that prayer. Then there are other prayers that we would pray again and again. Let me, let me say this. When it comes to a petition for healing or it comes to a petition for a need met, a petition in a certain area that involves you and your desires, well then we make that one time and then we move on from there with our worship and praise and thanksgiving and our preparations and actions that we believe what we prayed for. So we don't keep praying that same prayer. If you prayed for the same thing eight times before you got it, that means you prayed seven times in unbelief. I'll say that again because of that enormous response I can tell. I need to say it again. If you prayed eight times for the same thing and it took you eight times before you got it, you prayed the first seven times in unbelief. See, God is not holding things out here and about the time you take hold of it, he pulls it back. He's not playing tricks with us, games with us. So there's a way for these things to work. This kind of prayer we're going to, get, uh, we're going to read about in a moment here is a prayer that you would pray over and over and over again. Now, it's also a prayer that you can pray for somebody else because that's really what Paul's recording. He's recording a prayer he prayed for the Ephesian church. Now Paul was the one who was there when the Ephesian church was founded. You can read it in Acts 19. And you can read about how that, that uh, the Lord founded this church through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Uh, they tell us, history tells us that Timothy was the first pastor of this Ephesian church. It's a, it's a powerful book. The book of Ephesians, I guess, of all the epistles in the New Testament, it's my favorite. It is so powerful and so rich and so filled, even though there's only six chapters. There's so much good stuff here. You can study the book of Ephesians uh, the rest of your life, do some studying on it on a regular basis. You'd never, never get it all done. That's how powerful it is and so full of revelation. But anyway... Uh, so Paul was writing back to these, these believers and he was telling them how he prayed for them. So let me say this before we read the prayer. You might know somebody that is a believer, but maybe they don't get certain things. And maybe that frustrates you because you realize how much better their life would be if their eyes were opened, if they could just see, if they could just understand and, and we don't say it to be arrogant. We don't say it to be, um, you know, uh, proud or boastful or unkind even. But, you know, there are times, there are probably people you know that you know that if they could see some, just some of the things that you see, you know, not that we're all so smart or smarter than everybody else, but just some of the things you know by revelation through the Word of God and your experience and walk with God, if they could see what you see, their life would be different. Their life would be different. 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying that. I mean, it's not a, not a statement of pride, but it's just the truth. Well, you see, that's what Paul is doing here. He's praying about this and praying for people. So you might know people like that. This is the way you would pray for them. You may have children. You may have grandchildren. That even though maybe they, at some point in their life they've made a confession of faith, they're not really walking in the light and the fullness of the things of God like they could and like really they should. Uh, this is a prayer you pray for yourself. I pray this prayer for me and for you every day. Every day. This is a part of my prayer life. So let's read and, uh, the prayer and let's see what he said. Beginning with verse 15. He says, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now there's the gist of what he's requesting in verse 17. That God the Father, the Father of glory, would give unto the, pers- the people he's praying for, and you could substitute your name in there as you pray it for yourself, or the names of those people we were just talking about that you, you're thinking about, you could substitute their names. That God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's a powerful statement. Through the, the, so this is a work of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of wisdom, that's the Holy Spirit. And the spirit of revelation, that would be another way of saying, uh, we could say it this way, the spirit of seeing and knowing. That's what revelation is. Revelation is something revealed. So it means it's something that you don't see until it is revealed. In other words, until it's revealed, you don't know what it looks like. You don't know what it is. And you see, that's, that's the, the neat thing about God and the things of God is that God is on a spiritual dimension and level that you and I cannot fully, completely comprehend who He is and what he is and what he does and his will and his purposes without spiritual revelation. We don't discover God with our intellect only. We don't know God by our feelings or our emotions or even physical senses. We can only fully know God through our spirit nature. Man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. And so it's only through the spirit that we contact God. With our soul, the intellectual part of man and the areas of memory, the areas of emotion and feeling and thought processes and logic and all the rest, we contact that realm, the intellectual realm. And of course we all know with the body we we contact the physical realm. The senses rule in that realm. We need all those to function in the earth. We need all of that. As a matter of fact, if your body quits working, you have to leave. That's what happens at death. When the body quits working, uh, the individual leaves. Because the body's not the real you. It's just the house you're living in. You, the spirit, are forever going to live somewhere. Thank God we're going to heaven. Aren't you glad about that? Amen. But revelation 
comes to us on the spiritual level. That's the way you're going to know God is spiritually. And you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to go four years or six years to Bible school and seminary and all the rest. You just need to be born again and develop and cultivate a relationship with God. And the two major ways that you're going to do that, actually I would say three major ways you're going to do that, is number one, through His Word, because God and His Word are one. God's word is as good as he is, just like your word's no better than you. Well, God's word's no better than him, and it's perfect, just like he is. So we're going to get to know God through the word. You really will know God no better than you are, are, are involved in knowing the word. And then number two, we're going to know God through prayer, just the subject we're teaching on Wednesday nights here, through prayer, communication with him, spending time with him. Spending time with him, I said. That's really important. Because it's amazing if you would take an honest evaluation, all of us, if we would take an honest evaluation of our time, an honest, honest inventory, we would probably be surprised at how little time we're really spending communicating with God and how much time we're spending with other things. And the other things may or may not be wrong. And, and for Christian life, it's probably most of those things aren't wrong. But you can just crowd God out. Because if you notice God's not going to come down and beat you over the head and make you pray. He's not going to make you be spiritual. It's a choice that you're going to make to pursue God. And nobody that's ever made that choice ever regretted it. You can look the world over. You're not going to find one human being that will ever tell you, you know, I really sought God and I'm sorry that I did. But there are a lot of people who will come down to later portions of their lives when their lives are coming to a close and they know it, that they would tell you, I wish I would have spent more time, maybe with any number of other things, but certainly they wish they'd have spent more time seeking God and fulfilling the plan of God for their life. Why don't we start today and however long we have left on this planet, let's make it the best by spending time in the presence of God. And I'll tell you about spending time with God. He will warn you of things that you can avoid. He will show you things and ways that can, uh, to do it that can be changed. He will, he will guide you in such a way that your life will never, ever be the same. Amen. It'll be blessed. Amen. And so, uh, number two is through, uh, number one, knowing God through the word. Number two, through prayer. Number three is, I would say, through we develop our spirit in a great way through our praise and worship life. I've noticed over the years because of, of my limited involvement with praise and worship, but over many, many years of doing this, I've noticed that when people have a problem, when they really have a hang-up with worship and praise, it usually also carries over into other areas of their spiritual life. I mean, uh, you can do your own research about it, but... But I, I would almost guarantee you that when you think about somebody that's deeply spiritual to the point that they move in an area of revelation, they live in the supernatural, they have great supernatural testimonies of the goodness and greatness of God in their life, you probably aren't going to find anybody with that kind of a testimony or track record that's a person who is not a praiser and a worshiper of God. It's not about voice and musical ability. It's not about perfection. 
It's about a heart that cries out to God. It's about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So it's very, very important that we, uh, that we learn to get into that realm. And so what happens there is God reveals himself. Because as I said, we don't know God through our intellect and emotions only. We don't know him through our feelings only. Now, knowing God will affect all of those areas. But God chooses to reveal himself. And the primary revelation will come through his word. And so when we look at this verse, verse 17, that God wants us to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, then that means this is something I need to pray for on a constant basis. Unless I know everything, I need to pray this prayer. So obviously I need to pray this prayer. Now what is it that Paul says that the spirit of God is going to show us? What is he going to talk to us about? That the eyes of your understanding, verse 18, so we know this is not natural eyes, but it's the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened. Enlightenment means to see something that's not previously seen. To be enlightened. To see something that's not been previously seen. And so what this can mean for us as believers is that we will see new things, new uh, facets of revelation about old truths. Don't ever think because you've heard that verse read before or somebody's already preached about that once and I heard that. Don't think that that's the end of it because it isn't. The Word of God is pregnant. It is constantly giving birth to new facets and aspects of revelation of the mind and the will and the purpose of God. And so therefore we want the spirit of wisdom and revelation to bring us enlightenment even if it's new things about old truths. And he says here that there are three areas that comes that this revelation, I'm sorry, three areas that this revelation needs to be manifested in, in our lives. There are three things, major things, that we should see. Now, before we get into those three things very quickly, we won't be able to cover them very much because of our time, but we'll hit the high spot or two with them. But uh, I do want to say this. This is obviously a work of the Holy Spirit. And many times, you'll find this kind of spirit of wisdom and revelation comes into your life and manifests when you have spent time in prayer and time in the Word, especially when you meditate. Meditation is one of the great keys to success. It's one of the foundational principles of success that God gave to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. He said, this book of the law, so he's talking about Scripture, and he didn't have as much Scripture as we have today, but there was enough there to accomplish what God was going to say to him. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, so meditation has to do with saying. And we know from definition it means to mutter and to speak as in speaking to oneself. So sometimes you just have to talk to yourself. David, you know, said, bless the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 103. So it was his spirit man saying to his mind, his will and, his, and emotions, you need to praise the Lord. Have you ever been in that place where your spirit was telling you, you need to say some things. You need to praise the Lord. You need to get with it here. But your body and your mind was saying, I don't want to. I'm disappointed. I'm angry. I'm offended. I'm hurt. I'm tired. I'm whatever, you know. And, and, and sometimes you just have to grab yourself by the ear and you have to say, you're going to do this. And sometimes it's very difficult 
to, to really start praising the Lord. I've been in times when I've just been kind of, you know, feeling really lazy and groggy, and, and I just felt like I needed to get up out of my chair, get up from a seated position, and get up and begin to dance before the Lord. Now, I know you're imagining how weird that would look. I'm sure it did and would. But it's not for you that I do it. God likes it. The Bible says praise is comely for the upright. That's an old English word that means attractive. Attractive. Have you ever been in love? You were attracted to somebody. Well, just think about it on a very sanctified level, on a much higher plane, on a spiritual level. When you praise God, God is attracted to you. You want to get God's presence in a room where you are? Start praising him. Amen. Amen. And you can dance your way and praise your way and sing your way and you can glorify God in, into a place of healing and blessing or any other thing that you may need. Praise the Lord. And so this is, uh, this is important when we begin to get into the presence of God and we meditate and uh, we ponder, we put ourselves into these scriptures. We begin to see ourselves with these things, whatever we're reading about in the Word, we begin to see ourselves with those things manifested. And so I like to say it this way. We meditate till we revelate. Amen. I know that's probably not good grammar. If you, when you type it in, I have it in my notes here, and it's got a little red line under that word revelate. That's, that's not what uh, the, the grammar police think that is a good word. But it's still true. You need to meditate till you revelate. Amen. And Holy Ghost ideas await us in the presence of God. So revelation comes uh, in, in these three areas discussed in this, in this passage. Number one, he says uh, that you may know, what is, verse 18, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. Now in Romans eleven twenty nine. 29... It says the gifts, plural, and calling, singular, of God are without repentance. Now, what does that mean? Well, the without repentance part is just an old English way of saying God's never going to take it back. And you need to hear this tonight. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever he called you to be, Whatever that he saw ahead and saw you being born into this world to do, his calling on your life is irrevocable or irrevocable, however you want to say it. And actually one translation would render it that way. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. What does that mean? He never takes them back. And what that also means is that when you and I stand before God, that's what will be judged on. Did you do what I called you to do? Was my calling fulfilled in you? You know, we have a testimony from the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy that he had, he had finished his course. He said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. He finished his course. So when he stands before the Lord, he's going to hear, well done. What about you and me? God has not taken back that calling. 
He doesn't, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't really care how old you are or young you are or how many strikes you think you have against you in life and this, that, or the other thing that, you know, we feel like, well, maybe I've disqualified myself or whatever. The calling of God is irrevocable. And there will be people who will stand before the Lord and they will have completely missed the calling of God. And they may have done well in certain areas, but it wasn't what God called them to do. And I know that's a serious thought. This is kind of a heavy, heavy thing here that I'm into. But you need to know that. It's not just enough to stay busy. It's important to do what God called you to do. And I would suggest this to you, and I, I would submit this to you, that if you do what God's called you to do, you won't be too busy. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Jesus said it. But you will be effective. What you do will count. The gifts, gifts, plural, and calling of God. Now, why are gifts plural? Because whatever he's called you to do, you need spiritual equipment to do it. And you'll need various gifts and ministries at different times for different reasons and different situations. You're going to need the supernatural. But he said the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Well, Paul said in this passage, I want you to have a revelation of the hope of his calling. You know, hope guides our faith. Hope is different. It's not faith. Faith gives substance to the things hoped for. But if there's no hope, then your faith's in neutral. So hope guides or gives direction to our faith. And hope, listen carefully, this is really important. Hope shows you what the end of your faith looks like. Hope is the goal. You know, if we came in here uh, tonight and, and, the, and the room temperature was at 50 degrees, that's too cold, we quickly would go to the thermostat, we'd turn it up, you know, all the way to 55. Uh, <laughs> we'd turn it up, let's say, to 68 or 69 degrees. And so that's our hope. That number, 69 degrees, that's the hope. Because 70 is too hot in this room. I'm not saying it's a word from the Lord, but it's my opinion anyway. But <laughs> thank you, Mike. But see, so, so when you look at that number, the room temperature is not there yet. It takes all this equipment. It takes power engaging properly. And the, in this room, it's going to take some burning of some gas to make it happen. And the fans pushing it out. All of that is the action to what we want. Faith is your action. Faith is taking action on the word. But hope is the, the goal. It's, the, it's what our faith looks like at the end. So you never want to lose sight of what you're going toward. You always want to walk with hope in your life. But without uh, faith, your hope is just, it's just a goal. It becomes, it's a desire, but, but it takes faith to make it happen. And so when Paul prayed this prayer, he said, I want you to know what is the hope of your calling. In other words, if you need, a, you need a revelation of the fact of what will happen when you fulfill your call, this will become your goal. 
See, if your life goal is anything other than fulfilling the call of God on your life, you've got the wrong goal. You say, well, well, not everybody's a preacher. I'm not talking about being a preacher. That's the, um, the only way that would be the, the call of your life is if you're called to do that. Not everybody's going to pastor a church. Not everybody's going to stand behind a pulpit. Not everybody's going to minister and teach the Bible, so to speak, you know, as, as we know it. But what's going to happen is there is something God has put you on the planet for. What is it? And it's going to tie in with your purpose and plan for all areas of your life. It's going to tie into your home life. It's going to tie into your finances. It's going to tie into your career choices, all of that. So whatever God's called you to do, be the best at that, whatever it is. You know, and I can't tell you what that is, but the Lord will tell you, if he hasn't already, he'll tell you if you wait on him. We need to see the hope of his calling. And number two, he said in verse number 18, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So Jesus died. The will, of the, the will that he made was then brought into force. That's the way wills work. There are no legal force until the death of the testator or the one who made the will. Jesus is the only person in history that made a will, died to bring it in force, and then just rose from the dead to be the executor of his own estate. And on behalf of believers and the church, he is also the lawyer or the advocate that's in the presence of the Father to make sure that every provision of the covenant he made comes to pass in our life. That's a powerful thought. Paul said, I want you to know about that. And that kind of knowledge comes through the Holy Ghost. And the more revelation knowledge you have about the riches of the glory of his inheritance, the more you're going to believe God for. Because that inheritance is so vast that you don't get it all. Let me say it this way. You don't see it all or understand it all or comprehend it all on day one. Even though it's yours. It belongs to you, bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. But yet, it's through the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that we begin to see what belongs to me. I remember, I remember when it was a stretch of faith for us to believe God for $10,000 for a church project. We had to go borrow it. And you know, th this year, we'll, we'll give away, this church will give away, I guess, over $160,000, $70,000 in giving, giving, sowing, all kinds of different places, all kinds of different needs, all kinds of good ground, different parts of the world. It's amazing. Well, you see, back there then, if you'd have told me that there were, you know, that we were going, we needed to give away even if, if you told me we needed to give away $10,000, I would have told you, well, that's not possible right now. We, you know, I could not see myself doing that. But like I said, we had to go borrow $10,000 for a church project. What's happened over the years? The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the, the eyes of, of our understanding enlightened, being able to see what's our inheritance. And it's, it's easier to believe, you know, for $10,000 today than it would have been to believe God for $500 those years ago. And, and 
when you feed your faith and you exercise your faith and you are constantly believing God for revelation, you start seeing things differently. Do you see yourself broke, busted, disgusted? The rest of your life, do you see the rest of your life being like it is now? Do you see any growth? Do you see any development? Do you see better? Do you see more? Do you see yourself functioning in a greater level of anointing? Do you see yourself as a more spiritual person, a more valuable person in the kingdom of God? I mean, I'm just throwing out a few things. We could go down a long, long list here. But you need to begin to see yourself from God's perspective. You need to understand your inheritance. Someone very, 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 very rich died and left you in the will. And then he rose again to make sure that will's carried out. You are a brother or a sister of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spiritual dimension. He is our elder brother and our Savior and our lawyer. He is God manifest in the flesh. You and I are not God, but we're in the family. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so the last thing, the third thing Paul was praying for in this kind of prayer was that we would have also a revelation, number one, of the hope of our calling, number two, of the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and number three, he wanted us to have a revelation of what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. The greatness of his power to usward who believe. And then he goes on to describe it, and I'm glad he did. He goes on to describe what he's talking about. It's the power, he said, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought or worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. He said, I want you to see that revelation power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is in you, and it works in you. It's available to you. And he went on to give us a little information about that power and that place that uh, Jesus is now seated in. And by the way, if you go over to chapter 2, you'll find it says we are seated with him. So when we read about this, one reason he wanted us to have a revelation of this is because this power that was worked in the resurrection and ascension and glorification of Jesus is the same power that's in us. Not a different power but the same power. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. That covers everything. If that name is cancer, if that name is heart disease, if that name is arthritis, if that name is bankruptcy, if that name is, you know, whatever you could think of that's a part of the curse. This says the name of Jesus is above every name that's named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. It says, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That power and authority. So he's basically saying you need to pray and continue to pray for yourself. And you also need to pray for others that three things would happen. That they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to see these three things rather. These three things. Number one, what they are called to do. The hope of their calling. Number two, what an inheritance they have. What belongs to them right now in Christ. 
what they have access to and can claim and believe God for. And number three, to have a revelation of the power of God that is theirs and their authority. Enough power and enough authority so that the devil is no match for it. Not even death is a match for it. That's a prayer that will change your life. And I challenge you tonight, as we're closing here, Glenna, come on if you will. I want to challenge you, pray this for yourself every day. And don't miss a day. If you have to, write this down, print it off, put it, you know, in your pocket, whatever, and pray it over yourself. Pray this over your children. Pray this over your grandchildren. Pray this over believers you know, family members. You don't have to tell them that you're doing this. You don't have to announce it at Christmas dinner. I just want you to know that I'm praying Ephesians chapter 1. You know, I'm very holy, very spiritual person. I want you to No, you don't do that. Just pray it. Pray it. And they'll begin to see things. The spirit of say, seeing and knowing. Revelation will come. They'll begin to understand things. The spirit of wisdom and revelation will begin to manifest in their lives. And what a blessing that is. You think about where you used to be. I know where I used to be. And where we are today. The things we enjoy. The things we are, are, are rejoicing over. The blessing of God in our lives. Let me tell you, this is a great part of the reason why we're blessed. It's because we begin to see and we begin to believe and we begin to act on these truths. It will change your 